0: pop shield a long-form discussion podcast about musical topics both past and present i'm gabe and i'm joined as always by dan hello and darren hello you know i like to start each episode by asking you guys what you've been listening to lately
1: yeah i've been listening to uh an album you told me about gabe actually the uh the caretaker uh every mm. oh shit what was the name of that i just left me uh everywhere at the end of time or something um, uh yes yes yeah i brain fart um it's like uh six disc uh or six hour long uh six album six hours of uh like tracing dementia through uh like disintegrating um loops of uh old seventy eights and stuff uh, yeah you know right wow. up my alley. It's, it's pretty uh it's it's pretty interesting so uh, thank you for that recommendation <laughs> yeah you're welcome. <laughs>
2: Uh, I was sick for most of the the time that we were uh, listening, supposed to be listening, so I was mostly just focusing on Scott Walker, but I did want to share with you guys that today, April 10th, which is when we were recording, is actually the anniversary uh, of Paul McCartney announcing the breakup of the
0: Beatles. Wow. Yeah. Well, we should have uh, should have done something. Yeah. Well, next
2: year will be next year will be fifty years since the Beatles broke up, so we can do something then, right? Okay. All right.
0: All right. <laughs> nice. Well, I um, you know, wanted to use this space to tell you guys about a little field trip. I went and saw Jason and Mitsuki at the Egyptian room in the old national center at Indianapolis, April 2nd. Kind of a weird venue, it was like I sent you guys a picture. It looked like a giant ancient Mew Card or something. Uh, <laughs> it really did. <laughs> kind of like kitschy Egyptian. But you know, anyway, I we we reviewed on our previous podcast uh the sum record, the last JSON record, mm-hmm. and I really loved it. The show, though, I gotta say, you know, she strikes me as somebody who has not really played live a lot. I don't know if that's true, but you know, you get this vibe of her being a sort of like a bedroom producer, you know, extraordinaire kind of genius person. And she was, I don't know, just like a little shy and reserved and there wasn't all the layering and stuff. And, you know, it was fine, but um a little underwhelmed. Mitski though, I mean, really, really delivered. It was it was kind of unlike anything I'd ever seen before because she brings out this table and she's doing this kind of, you know, on her last album, this kind of vibe of like, I don't know, sexually repressed, but Uh, seductive but dead inside housewife or something routine and um, so she's kind of like sprawling out on the table sometimes climbing on the table sometimes getting like really erotic uh, on the table sounds like it's gonna you know run out of steam pretty quickly but she'll like flip the table over and use it as a prop in different ways and you know it it was highly choreographed and you know I really love her last album and they are quite pop and sort of like a self-aware almost Lana Del Rey kind of style and uh, it just really worked and it weirdly felt like you know sometimes you wonder like is is Pitchfork famous like really famous you know because she got album of the year last year but she really felt like a bona fide pop star you know it felt like weird to be in a regular sized kind of like indie rock venue watching a show that was like you know, obviously not as complex, but like a Beyonce or a Lady Gaga, like that kind of star power almost. Now, Darren, you saw her before, right? Did yeah. she do anything like this?
2: No, that's why I was going to mention, like, I saw your clips and I, I just thought it was so wild because when I saw her, <laughs> yeah. you know, she had a guitar the entire time. I mean, she was like, you know, just a guitarist, you know, guitar singer, uh, you know, leading yeah. the band or whatever. And then when I saw your clips and she didn't have an instrument in her hands, I was kind of taken aback like so the entire show was like
0: that yeah you know it it sort of had this arc to it where by the end um she brought out like an acoustic guitar and did um basically two two and a half songs really that were like really mellow and sort of like this closing note before the band like rejoined and sort of crescendoed at the end but um But that felt, you know, almost like a like an epilogue to this, you know, sort of thing where she's like sexually repressed and really stiff and then gets like more and more, I don't know, flamboyant or like acting out in some sort of, you know, performance art kind of way. Um, So it sounds like she just totally reinvented herself for this new album, which is uh, really kind of impressive. But I got to say, it was like quite an experience to see. And I would highly, highly recommend it. Although who knows if she'll go right back to. uh To just being a regular indie rocker. Um, Okay, with that, we should jump into today's topic. On March 22nd, as I'm sure everybody knows, Scott Walker passed away at the age of 76. And the outpouring of tributes and recollections from fans, music publications, and musicians alike made Darren and me feel pretty ashamed that we had never listened to him before. I'm actually still embarrassed saying this. Um, (laughs) Unlike us, though, Dan is a longtime fan. So he he assigned us two albums. Scott Two from 1968, and Tilt, from 1995, that would give us a sense of Scott Walker's incredible transformation from 60s teen pop star to avant-garde icon, and hopefully convert us to fellow obsessives. We're going to dive deep into these two records, but also discuss Walker's career arc, surrounding mythology, and cult figure status as a whole, and basically find out what it takes to get into one of the most puzzling and eventually uncompromising artists in pop music history. So let's start with you, Dan. How did you discover? When did you discover and get into Scott Walker?
1: Yeah, I, I'm apparently the only patrician on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I honestly I don't really remember exactly like how I did, but I know it was a Bish um, which I think is from mm. 2012, if I remember right. Um, I think so I, I I probably either just you know read something online or you know read the Pitchfork review or something, and I listened to it, and it's just this very scary man singing with uh weird noises in the background and that is right up dan's alley uh so i, I was i was pretty hooked uh very soon uh you know after that so i was yeah you know, i got into bishbosh and then uh, i went backwards tilt drift um and then i you know eventually listened to the the older records after that
0: that's yeah, I, I want to, like, kind of return to that throughout this mm-hmm. discussion because I think that's pretty uh, – maybe that's normal now, but I don't know. That seems pretty odd to start, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. there. Um, <laughs> would you say that before these weeks, though, this, these last two weeks, that you would – you considered yourself, like, a big fan of those early albums as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I have um, – like the early ones uh, almost as much as the later ones. You know, I don't want to give too much away since we're going to talk about them. But yeah, it's it's almost like it's two separate artists to me a little bit. Um, But yeah, Yeah. I I love those uh, old records and like a weird sort of... uh, uh, you know, uh, singer, uh, you know, Baccarat kind of thing way, you know, mm. but, uh, and then the later ones, obviously, you know, super experimental and all that stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I
0: strangely do love, uh, both, both periods. Interesting. Um, so Darren, I mean, had you heard Scott Walker's name? Have you heard about all this, you know, mythos or what did you know going in? So I had known Scott Walker's
2: name and I was like familiar with like the Scott, one two three and four records Hmm. um probably from just browsing all music or something like that you know just kind of coming across the name and then checking out some of those albums and i i know at some point i probably downloaded a couple of them you know planning to like listen to them eventually just never really did um but i didn't know i didn't know anything about this sort of second half of his Uh. career i was only familiar with those albums
0: from like the 60s and 70s Wow. Yeah. I was, um, I feel like I've always known his name and at some point I did try to listen to, I think the first self, you know, Scott one, um, and, you know, probably just made it like a couple songs in and, you know, I was just like, what, you know, this is not for me. What is this like, Sinatra trash? <laughs> but, um, really didn't get it. And then I was just kind of aware that he, um, Went, you know, became really insanely experimental later on. I, I guess I must have, like, put on the record he did with Sun um, a couple years ago. So when it came out, yeah, Soust. I, you know, I, I like Sun, but, you know, I, well, I'm sure we'll talk more about this. But that voice, you know, threw me for a loop. I was like, wow, I really <laughs> didn't. I don't remember liking it, but I don't, you know, I don't now. I hate it. Um, so that was kind of like. As much as I knew, but it still always felt like one of those things where this is like a big, uh, something I need to get over, you know, especially as I've gotten older and, um, you know, especially after finding out that he died, I was like, God damn, I really need to get around to listening to Scott Walker. So I was excited to do this. Um, we'll go chronologically, unlike Dan, and um, <laughs> start with Scott too. I want to know why you assigned us this album um, especially out of those 4 that are all pretty beloved I guess.
1: Yeah, um you know Scott 1 is is honestly my favorite of of these uh four early records, but that one it's pretty much all covers and uh I, Scott 2 is the first one where he's um it, it's a mix, you know, it's got the Brel songs, some of this uh weird uh you know I, I think there's a Bacharach song, but then he also writes a couple, so it's like a good uh, mix of that. Because Scott Four is is mostly all that, and Scott Four is a little weird, you know. I mean, it's still very less weird than than Tilt or, or anything, but you know, it's it's you can sort of see the arc uh, more. Scott Two is like we're we're starting to get there a little bit, but but we're not quite there, you know. It, it's still very separate. And I think I think it's just super interesting how. Much he's changed, and I think that gives you like a um uh, a deeper appreciation of his experimentation to like see where he came from, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that this um is a good one, and actually over the last two weeks, I ended up kind of you know I had this ambition to to listen to like his entire discography um over the course of these two weeks. I didn't quite get there, but I did dabble at least in all of these Scott records, and um yeah, you know this one has there's certainly a couple originals which are fantastic from Scott one, but this one is almost kind of divided in like perfect threes, you know, Mm -hmm. of his songs, uh, Braille songs. We'll talk about all this and others. You might categorize them as, but, um, you know, I think it's worth going over just a little bit of background. I'm sure everybody knows, but, um, you know, the idea that he starts like even as early as the late fifties as like really this, teen pop singer I don't, i'm not sure how entirely successful he was but it's like he was sort of being positioned as in this i don't know justin bieber of the 50s kind of way and then he joins up with two people who are not his brothers and not named walker and neither is he <laughs> but they become the walker brothers and they become a fairly uh successful um especially in the uk kind of like a uh pop but but sort of heavily orchestrated sort of dramatic pop uh, group and um, then he launches a hugely successful solo career um, at least initially and when I say hugely successful I think he had a few crossover hits here but in the UK I think he's much more widely known Mm -hmm. really identified with the 60s the swinging 60s of London even though he's not that swinging Darren were (laughs) you you know in in familiar with any of this or like I'm really interested in you know what was your approach were you just like i'm gonna go in blind and start listening to scott too or did you know a little bit about this early period no i, I really
2: didn't um i kind of went in fairly blind you know a little bit of reading of uh i think pitchfork did a review of like what the four four records mm. plus another one mm-hmm. like in a box set release and um mm-hmm. you know in it it talks about how uh you know he sort of bucked the psychedelic tradition of the 60s you know what I mean so that was sort of something that I had in mind when I was uh, listening to this and then I guess his his approach was really to market himself towards I mean Pitchfork literally said like housewives and elderly people right so uh, (laughs) you know um, that for some reason actually seemed really interesting to me and maybe it's just because you know, you're you're listening to somebody from the '60s, who no longer obviously you know housewives and elderly people of today are listening to. So it's just kind of a a weird thing to listen to somebody who, you know, is considered a cult icon, right? And somebody who yeah is not is from the '60s, but is not like all about the psychedelics and all this kind of stuff. So um, that was pretty much it, though. Like I, I didn't really do a whole lot
0: of research.
2: I just started listening.
0: Yeah, you know, it's really, really weird. And this is, like, one of those things that I I think is just always true of history. You know, I mean, this came out in, I think, March of 1968. And it, in London, in the UK, rather, um, went number one and stayed there for quite a long time. And this is, you know, like, the height of the 60s, like, the hippie era, the Woodstock era, Mm -hmm. you know. And it doesn't seem to fit with the narrative we have of the time that this is... The number one album for so long but you know in trying to figure that out maybe we should try to describe the sound dan how would you describe the sound of this record
1: you know if you if you just look at it straight it's like a weird you know baroque pop uh kind of <laughs> i don't know if lounge singer is the right word like honestly this is like style of music a you know, backerack, uh humperdink like those are all people like you know their name but like you know, I honestly I don't think I know any of those songs. You know, it, it's like a it's a as people of our age, it's sort of a gap of uh, our knowledge in, in music. Um, yeah. Because even like my grandparents didn't even listen to you know that kind of stuff. Um, so it's like, <laughs> you know, it, it's got the straight. It's like something that you're like familiar enough with the sound of it. You know, from movies and and TV and just Sinatra
0: you know, and stuff like
1: that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, this like you know crooning. Um, storytelling kind of you know song like very like well pronounced uh like the, the you know old people always fucking complain when they like can't i can't understand what he's saying and <laughs> you know true. like all these singers they like every word is like and you they can they belt it, it, it so out <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um and you know that that's what we get here but i think the the reason i like it is there's like and maybe it's because you know, I heard these after hearing what was to come, but there's like some sort of, there's a strangeness, uh, like lurking around the corner, uh, during this, you know, it's like when you listen to Sinatra and, uh, I'm gonna have my Italian American card revoked for saying this, but (laughs) he he fucking sucks. And wow. You know, it's, it's like it's music for your grandparents. Um, but this, you know, there's just like, it's music for your grandparents, but like, it's a little weird. It's, like, it is a little creepy, like-ness. And I don't know if it's his voice or, or what, but we, yeah. we can dig more into that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, it's If I just could add, like, you know, one of the first images that come to my mind when I listen to this, and this kind of happens when you hear, like, strings from the 60s. I think of, like, going into, like, a Goodwill, you know, and, like, looking through mm, vinyl yeah. and where yeah. you see just, like, tons and tons of these, like, sort of nameless, forgotten you know, artists and stuff. That's exactly what this, like, initially sounded like to me.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, I felt so too. And, again, I can't get over the fact that it's, you know, 1968, but it's got that, it really has that, like, kind of early 60s Phil Spector wall of sound vibe to it. It's Mm -hmm. got that, like, big, vibrant strings and um, brass and stuff. And, you know, there's also, like, kind of a especially early in the first half of the record there's like a usually a mixed in is like something akin to like rock you know drum and bass is kind of like underneath the orchestration which does give it like kind of a cool 60s aesthetic late 60s aesthetic um but you know i th- I think we'll have to we'll, we'll have to tear down individual songs i think to talk about what they sound like but you're right that the initial impression you get is something very antiquated um how did you do, Darren, with his voice? Uh, to me, it's something it takes a little getting used to.
2: Um, you know, I, I didn't find it too uh, difficult. You know, obviously, when we get to the next record, I'll have something else to say. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think that he kind of fits right into this sort of, you know almost like lounge singer you know you, you don't like sinatra but that just that sort of realm of like real masculine you know yeah i'm wearing a suit and a tie when i sing yeah. type of uh type of voice you know what i mean uh, and i think yeah he, he, honestly i like his voice i think he's a very good singer um on this record in particular
0: yeah i came to like it but it, it, it's a little jarring because it's like this you know baritone it's really soaring and like you know lush but you know he does this like vibrato thing like crazy mm, yeah. you know <laughs> um it, it's it's called almost it's good, ri-
2: that's a good singer who can who do that you know it's <laughs> a skill Gabe.
0: <laughs> it is but it's it's like almost ridiculous uh at points where he's just like uh ah, you know and <laughs> i You know, I came to really love the aesthetic, like the sound of the record, because it's got this like strange classicness to it, like this strange kind of what you were getting at, Dan, which I think we'll dive into more. But I think the only way to really dive into it is to to divide it up, like I was saying earlier, because we've got really equal thirds, his originals, this standard kind of like middle of the road for (laughs) elderly people and housewives kind of stuff. And then Jacques Brel covers. So when, let's start with the standard stuff, okay? We've got a couple songs here that are, in fact, we've got a Burt Bacharach song, but we've also got, you know, basically Best of Both Worlds, Black Sheep Boy is kind of like this twangy country thing. It was probably a hit for numerous people. Um, Wait Until Dark is like a the theme song that was composed for some like Audrey Hepburn movie or something. Um... The last song, Come Next Spring, is like the most Sinatra thing here, I think. You know, what do you guys make of these tracks? Do you enjoy them?
1: I I do. I I, I think some of them are sort of the the weaker uh, points of the record, but I do like them. And again, you know, I, I really wish... I could have heard like these records before hearing, uh, you know, what what was to come. Uh, because I, I do, I wonder if I like would have liked it or if I'm just like, I I can't tell if like what I like about it is that it's like this very weird guy singing these very unweird songs. Um, you know, like one of them's Henry Mancini. Like I've never heard that person, but I've spent a lot of time at Goodwill and, uh, that's a name that comes up quite a bit. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's like and I I think uh, I don't know. I, I feel like almost if I did hear this record first, I I would still sort of think it, there's the this weirdness cuz his voice is like very strange. Uh you know, it's yeah. like this this crazy baritone uh um like I don't, I don't know, like almost you know, Dracula sing, sings sings you sings you some songs, you know. Uh yeah. yeah. Like my my wife hates Skywalker and uh she always uh compares it to Shushu. Like it that he sounds like the, the guy from yeah. Shushu Jamie. Yeah. Um yeah. and stuff. So, you know, like I, I feel like there is this weirdness and and that's what I like about the the songs that are the you know, middle of the road ones is it's like you know, you've got this guy who's who's not middle of the road, like elevating these uh you know low low brow kind of things i I don't know if that's just me like
0: um projecting because i know i think that's the question you know that's really the big issue is like you know which i want to return to and spend more time on but like what would these sound like if we didn't know where he was going what i I mean darren what do you think do you think that you would have that you would find especially those songs that i just mentioned like anything interesting about them if you didn't kind of know where he's heading
2: well, I mean, I'll tell you this: I listened to Scott too before ever listening to Tilt, so I had no okay. idea. I had I had no idea, no frame of reference, uh, no idea how the spectrum was going to stretch. You know what I mean for him. Not, <laughs> right. So so I you know I thought you know the the lead song Jackie kind of already set you off in a in a way where you know I was like okay this 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 is already a little bit weird like. The music right. sounds normal, but this guy saying stupid ass in such a you know, <laughs> sure. dramatic cute. way is kind of
1: just... Cute, cute we- in a stupid ass way.
2: <laughs> right. Um, I, I was like, all right, this is interesting. The next two songs, like you mentioned, Gabe, are very standard sounding and I like them. I mean, I I think Black Sheep Boy is a great song. For some reason, I, yeah. I knew that song and I just could not figure out which cover it was that I had heard. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I just I just knew the song. Um but then, like you know, the album, and I know we'll talk a little bit about the pacing, I imagine. But like, it seems to to move at a at a nice enough pace where I don't feel like I'm getting bored of these sort of pop standards. Um, mm-hmm. He seems to add little bits of like just weirdness, you know. Obviously, that what was it the Amorous Humphrey plug, his his right. first original on the record, um, kind of is already setting a, a new tone. You know what I mean? Um, okay. That, like I feel like it's okay. I feel like it's a, he earns the right to have some of these weird pop standards thrown in there as well, you know?
0: Okay, that's kind of interesting. So, the idea that these, taken as a whole, you know, because basically I'm questioning Dan, like, is it real? Like, is it real that there's anything weird about these songs, mm-hmm. um, or is it just what he knows? But... I can kind of buy what you're saying, that they're sitting amongst some pretty strange songs, which does kind of force you to listen to them in a maybe, you know, different angle than you would if they were on a Goodwill kind of record. Right. Um, You know, I I find that, you know, really, I think that they are kind of unremarkable, but you're kind of persuading me otherwise a little bit here, but they're like, fine songs sometimes i you know i really don't care much for like wait until dark or although that little bell thing is kind of nice um or like come next spring is just like totally whatever but um windows of the world as well you know i find that they're they sound quite uninspired and i'm actually really curious you know why he's doing this because it seems like he likes these songs at least at this point in his life or is it just total record label pressure But, like, even the orchestration of these songs is not that interesting, right? So, we can just jump all over the place. But if we think about its originals, you know, Plastic Palace People, I think, is basically a masterpiece. And, you know, we can come back to it and dive into it in more detail, but it's like one of the sections in that song is like very impressionistic it sounds like Ravel or something Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where you know and he's singing about you know like this kid like kind of you know it's like that movie the red balloon like this kid like sort of i don't know floating um chasing this balloon and using it to float away or something like that and the music is just so i mean the orchestration is like incredible and it just really uh adds like compliments to the 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 lyrical subject matter and you know, ha- having watched, we'll talk about this too, that documentary, you know, I know he was like really interested in sort of telling his composers and stuff, his the people who are arranging things for him, like, oh, I want this to sound like, you know, people like Ravel or Debussy or whatever. Um, it feels like on Best of Both Worlds or Windows of the World, he's just like, whatever, you know, whatever Bert Bacharach would have done, just do that. <laughs> do, you ever, do you feel like that at all? Yeah, I, I agree. I
2: mean, I think Scott Walker himself is really the only thing that saves these songs or makes them interesting you know if you removed him and put in i don't know sinatra or somebody like that um boy it would lose a lot of identity i think i i, I think he manages to you know add a personality to the song and like you know we, t- we kind of already talked about having him next to some of these other like weird songs and his originals adds takes that personally out of his weird songs and kind of applies it to these standards in a way that i think at least gives it something more interesting to to listen to you know what i mean yeah but it's weird
0: right that he didn't like try to make like those he songs actually care yeah yeah like he didn't try he didn't care to be like you know can we make that like orchestration a little more dense you know a little can we add like a little you know, atonality just in this little part or something. I mean, maybe the label just wouldn't let him, but do you kind of see what I'm saying, Dan? I, I think it's that. I think it's that the label, you know, he could sneak a
1: couple things by, you know, Plastic Palace people and stuff. But I think, you know, at this time period and, you know... It, the record um, preceding this like did well in the charts and stuff, but it's not like it, I, he doesn't have like the free reign like like someone like the Beatles got you know at, at a certain right. because right. even the Beatles had to had to wait you five records or whatever before they even got it. So I think like he you know some of this stuff does kind of feel like yeah the label's probably like oh you know you should do a Bacharach. rack you you know a Mancini's hot because um, I agree with you. Wait until dark is the worst song on this record. Um, yeah, but. You know, I so I I think it, and I don't I don't know for sure because he's he was such a you know reclusive person and didn't do a you know ton of interviews or anything. But it does it seems like you know the Brell songs, and his own like really seem like you know this is he's feeling it now. You know these are the ones he's he's wanting to do, and right, then the rest right. are like yeah you know I mean I'm sure he probably like put some effort into you know he wouldn't want to like release something that just sound like shit, but. Probably, probably a little. You know, I, I I would guess that he put a little less effort into those. Uh, perhaps you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're pleasant, but like, would you listen if if there was an album that that was like from Scott One and Two, just the middle of the road type? Oh songs? yeah, no, it would be one of those <laughs> things like Darren <laughs> said tough,
1: that you yeah. that you find in yeah. Goodwill. Yeah, it would be maybe slightly better, but uh, yeah, exactly.
2: Well, yeah, okay so, all right so well just one last thing so so and dan help me out here because in the pitchfork article i read i i sort of it seemed to imply that he was he cared about his placement on the charts right like he wanted to make sure that he was up there so is that do you think yeah, that I has mean, anything to do with this too
1: he sort of mentioned that in the documentary a 30th century man um like he he talked about it because um, Scott Four like basically doesn't do well and that that's the first one that he sort of has like full reign on and, and while it's still um sort of a, a standard type things it, it, it's get, it's getting a little weird and that record didn't chart or didn't chart for very long f- you know fell off and uh got got deleted from catalog and everything like very quickly and he he talks about it in the movie like if that had not happened he would have got to tilt and uh climate of hunter and stuff quicker um and the reason he like had to there's all these like uh, in between records that he refuses to uh, have reissued and stuff and they're like super hard to find and like he, he basically says like he had to do those um to to, to have a recording contract you know and so i I, you know i think i think that he i mean it's easy to say like he you know he cared about the charts uh, because he knew that would give him the freedom and you know maybe that that's some projecting of you know knowing the future but um you know i I feel like he he understood that to get what he wanted you know you have to especially in the 60s when you couldn't just make a record in in your bedroom you know you had to kind of play the game to to get there you know
0: yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that I mean, but it does kind of seem like his His stuff from the 70s, this kind of dark period Is what would it have What it would have been like if He was doing what I just mentioned Like just the, you know, middle of the road stuff Yeah um, And, you know, it's It it, it, ha- it seems like to me Like just, you know, he's pretty, he's very private obviously And who knows, but it seems to me like You know, he, he's got some like alcohol issues Maybe in that period he says, but also There's some kind of like You know, Scott Four being not well received, like really hurt him in kind of like a Weezer Pinkerton sort of way. And he just Mm -hmm. like almost gave up on chasing his artistic vision, which kind of made me think, um, you know, well, well, I don't know not to jump the gun, but it makes me wonder, like, what if other artists did what Scott Walker did, you know, like. What if Rivers Cuomo like went full Scott Walker, you know, after this dark <laughs> period that we discussed a few episodes ago? And he just like puts out his tilt, you know, in a couple of years. Oh my god. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about on Scott 2 um the the Jacques Brel songs. Now, Darren, are you familiar with Jacques Brel at all? I'm not. So he's like this, <clears throat> he's he's really Belgian, but you know, famous in France, sang in French. Um singer from like the 50s and then early to mid 60s uh i mean i think he carried on a little bit longer but he's sort of identified with that period and he's just kind of this you know like the idea you get from jackie he's like this very theatrical dramatic singer his songs often have like sort of a darkness to them but like sort of a humorous twist usually um you know i I think he's like really fantastic and i i um you know up until this week knew him knew him a lot better than um than scott walker are you a fan dan of Jacques Brel?
1: yeah i i not not like huge you know like i'm i'm aware of them and uh those like two big famous records like i i have and i know and stuff um but i i was a bigger you know i know these songs more from scott than i do
0: from from Brel, Yeah.
1: um to sort it of it was the fun absolute. to
0: actually it was fun to actually like learn what what the lyrics yeah yeah I, I thought
1: that i thought that too <laughs>
0: um but okay so we've got jackie which starts the record um we've got next which is weird we'll talk about and we've got uh the girls and the dogs which is also pretty weird um you know what did you make of these songs darren um so yeah i i knew that those songs in particular were
2: uh i guess from that jock brell i just didn't really you know obviously they kind of share a a similar uh sound like you just mentioned but um i like them you know I, i thought they were interesting songs i felt like they fit kind of into like what scott walker was trying to do you know what i mean and almost gave him an opportunity to just be weird on like you know a very like fast-paced, like, pop song, you know what I mean? Um Almost to yeah. the point where I, I was almost wondering to myself, like, did he, like, change, like, lyrics, you know, like, on, on, like, the song Next really feels like he, he wrote that song It almost, it almost seems yeah, like to me. Yeah, it kind of does.
0: Mean? Yeah, it seems like he's a, I mean, Brel is, like, this huge, just, muse for, for Walker, um, and not even just in this period, but for, the, like, his entire life, because, you know, it's, like, Brel is... It's like that sort of off-kilter like perversity or something. And also these kind of strange character studies that uh you know we'll talk about in Tilt. But you know, particularly, you know, a song like Next is, you know, just incredible, right? It's like mm-hmm. telling the story of, I don't know, some guy who's basically like raped in the army or something repeatedly right. and he's like uh you know, it's like kind of you know, soiled his idea of sexuality forever or something like that. And What's amazing is that it's done, like, in this almost theatrical, cartoonish way. And this is the thing that I love so much about these songs is that, you know, on those middle-of-the-road tracks, you've got kind of sappy, kitschy, like strings honestly and then on these tracks it's like that but it's turned up to 11 <laughs> and the song totally needs it you know what i mean dan yeah exactly and and i think
1: that's that's part of like where uh, i said earlier like that that weirdness creeps in you know like the strings are turned up to 11 you know it's like a little more than the that normal you know grandma grandpa kind of lounge thing you know like it's distorted a little bit um and then yeah i mean like the lyrics of next is like you know if you heard your your grandparents listening to that you know uh, (laughs) it it would be it'd be fairly strange Uh, but i I think next is maybe the the best song on on this record uh just the story is like crazy and uh uh you know he's talking about gonorrhea he's using uh epitaphs uh, against homosexuals it, it's it's uh it's it's a crazy it's a crazy song it, it's really not it is crazy it, it, when you put this on You know, Jackie's like a little bit like that, but not quite as much. But, you know, best of both worlds, you're not expecting next, you know? Uh, Right. Like everything that comes before you, you're not, you're not expecting, uh, you know, what this song is. And um, I I think that that, that's the kind of song that can sell people on early Walker to to show you that it is like a little different, even though, you know, he didn't write it. um, Still, you know, he had the, he had the, you know, wherewithal to, to pick it out. I mean, he really inhabits it, I think. Oh, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, uh, if I didn't know and I didn't like look at the... You know, if I just had this record and I didn't read anything about it, I would assume he wrote that song. It, like He really embodies right. it so well right, that it, right. it doesn't seem like a cover, you
0: know? Yeah, so I mean, so basically we should mention, I'm um, not sure if you're aware, Darren, but on Scout 1, 2, and 3, he covers at least three, I think three, Braille songs each. Um, to the point where sometime in the 90s or something, they released like a compilation mm-hmm. of all of his, you know, it's called like Scott Walker sings Jacques Brel or something. Um, so based on your limited knowledge, Darren, you know, what do you think draws him to Jacques Brel?
2: Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. Like, you know, I, I think you guys really put it together very well that like he kind of just owns those songs in a, Really strange way, like it. You know, I, I think even if I listened to Jacques Brel, I'd probably have a hard time feeling like this was the original versus, you know, yeah. S- mm-hmm. Scott Walker. um But I feel like he might have found in Jacques Brel like a vehicle towards his sort of weird take on pop music. You know what I mean? Because I mean, the bottom line is, even if it's a cover of a French French pop song. In English, in the way he sings it, it's just, it's it's unconventional. You know what mm. I mean? Like, I can't imagine yeah. your standard 60s pop singer um, singing a song like that. You know what I mean? But, like, somebody like Scott Walker, and forget the, you know, what happens with Tilt and stuff. Like, again, for me, I didn't even know, but I knew that those <laughs> right. three songs were weird. And I was like, okay, I think I get it. This guy, the reason why I'm actually caring to listen to him, the reason why he's not, like, a forgotten name... Is because of songs like this, songs like Next, right? Um, Yeah, he he's he's adding a twist. I know it sounds like sort of cliche. It's like, oh well, you just you know you've got your standard pop singer, but this guy's just a little weird. He's just doing it a little bit differently, and now he's a cult icon, whatever. Like, you know, again, my approach coming in was like, why do we care about Scott Walker? You know, why am I listening to Scott Walker when I hear this music? It sure doesn't sound like anything that is original or worthy of being listened to but Scott Walker the vocalist his approach the way he sings these songs it's just different it's just and it's different enough to i think warrant you know listening to this kind of stuff right
0: yeah yeah um yeah and i think like you know when i've said that like sort of the orchestration is cranked up to 11 you know it kind of reminds me i know they are Jacques Brel songs but it reminds me of like Serge Gainsbourg, another Mm -hmm. uh, French artist, maybe a little bit later than, than Brel, But you know, it's, it's a similar vibe of like, we're going to make it so schmaltzy that it like makes you feel uncomfortable a little bit or something. I mean, there's just, there's kind of like that cool, cool twist to those songs. But I think for a lot of people, for most people, maybe the, you know, selling point here are uh, the originals by Scott Walker, which um, include the amorous humphrey plug uh you know really really odd name really that that feels like 1968 to me Um, (laughs) yes the girls from the streets plastic palace people and the bridge now for me you know it's hard for me to say that these are the best songs on the album because i I do love the braille one so much but like i mentioned before i mean plastic palace people it would be like a standout track on Sgt. Pepper's. Yes. And I'm not even joking. Yes. It's it's stunning. I mean, it moves like in... It's just incredible that like that's sitting beside, you know, something like uh, Wait Until Dark because it's got like three different sections. It's got this like really strange vocal effect. But it moves through this like, you know, the 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 lyrics are on a like much higher level than almost anything else on the record. And just, like, this song structure that's almost like telling two stories or something. You've got this, like, kind of Icarus situation with this kid in this red balloon, but then you've got, like, some person named Alice, and it's a little bit, like, vague and ambiguous, but the images are really, really incredible. And, you know, the way that... It's almost like, uh, from the boys' perspective, you've got this, like, glistening, like, Ravel-style, you know, thing going on, these strings, and then, like... Alice's perspective is this more like kind of, you know, poppy, like walking the streets of London kind of a vibe, but it's got this like self awareness that just, I don't know, it makes me think of like uh, Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway, not to name drop too much. But I'm going to do that a lot until. <laughs> tilt, but you know, it's yeah. like ordinary, but something like sort of strange um, underneath it. Um, do you love the song as much as me, Dan? You know you're gonna be shocked, I
1: think, but I honestly this song is not that great. I really don't. Yeah, I I really, I really don't don't love it that much. It's uh, that weird that vocal effect. uh, It sounds you know where it sounds all watery and stuff. It just like why don't you like that? It just sounds like when I listen to that song, I sort of feel like I can see like i i can sort of like in it like a like a crystal ball i could sort of see tilt coming uh but it's like not it's not fully formed yet and it's just like i don't know it's like a little a little missteppish. uh like that that vocal effect just doesn't like it just seems like a little out of place the story is Man. The, the storytelling in it is cool and and all that is nice it just like i don't know all the little pieces like it's interesting to me in that i can i can see a little bit of what's to come from it but it's like it's like it's not fully formed yet we're we're not there and it's kind of i yeah I, i really honestly don't love that song very much at all wow are you on my
2: side darren i pretty much am i don't consider it my favorite song on the record but it's definitely it's definitely a standout um Probably top three, I would say, and it is it's interesting how, like I had mentioned at the top, you know, my understanding was that Scott Walker was sort of like bucking the psychedelic trend of the time, but yet this song yeah, is as psychedelic as anything that you can think of from the sixties, really um you know i I kind of struggle, and we'll we'll get into this, but like I don't really understand how you could see tilt from this, I mean, it's definitely different um
0: see i think it's like you know one thing that i think i just fucking love about this song is it like ends on a verse which you know it's just so cool to me i know like we're, we're beyond the 60s but if you just imagine like the 60s you know and you had a song it's like you know what's the structure verse chorus bridge verse chorus bridge Verse, you know, it's like a full minute long verse, and then you're just like, and just the way that that like glistening Ravel verse goes, it, you just are like totally left hanging. You're like, are you gonna hit me with another <laughs> plastic palace, people, or what, you know? And no, it just like robs you of it. And it also has like this nice crescendo because I think that that voice where his voice is like having that effect, it's totally cool. It reminds me of like the uh, flaming lips or something, like feeling yourself disintegrate or something because it's like the voice is like breaking apart and you got these like fairly ordinary scenes almost um, sometimes kind of fantastical, but then it's just like when that comes in and the music changes, it's like this darkness underneath these everyday scenes and these dreamy scenes. And we'll get to it, but it really reminds me of tilt because tilt is like very, it's very like operatic where the song changes based on like the emotion of the narrator or something, you know, it, it, it crescendos like a thematic, points and to me this is like this song just nails that but not to dan um, okay. <laughs> what about the other originals how did uh are any of those other originals your favorite song by chance darren
2: um no i think of the originals plastic palace people is my my favorite but um I was a big fan of the Brell songs. I really liked his cover of uh, Black Sheep Boy as well. Those are kind of among my favorite songs. Kind of, it's it's interesting. Like, I have favorites from, like, all three of these
0: uh, sort of categories
2: that you're, yeah, yeah.
0: What about you, Dan? What's you know, since you just don't like Plastic Palace people for some reason. What of his originals do you like? I, I don't dislike it. It's just I, I don't like okay, it as yeah, yeah. I don't
1: now. like it as much Start as hedging. as I should. Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just not that impressed. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't know. I, I I like the Amorous Humphrey plug a bit. Uh, I think uh, of the originals, I would probably pick that one. But really, on this record uh the Brel songs are are what are what really sells it um for me i, I like the Brel songs uh much more than than anything else,
0: yeah, you know i'm just um i don't know i'm I'm really kind of in awe you know I'm just like sort of looking and just picking like a random um like just like the bridge okay, which is the second to last song it's his last original on the record you know if you just like read any of the lyrics like I've watched her from the riverbanks. I knew her when she danced with dreams. White doves were there to dress her hair, and so was Madeline. At night, the people's faces dance like pearls colliding on the breast of Fat Marie, whose thunder laugh was just a thread from crying. It's like, what are you even doing singing burp fucking Like, (laughs) Like, you can write shit like that. I mean, it just feels like so... You know, some people might think it's like sometimes a little like overdone, but it's just like when he does these originals, I am kind of like in awe at his talent. And like, thank God he didn't just quit in the 70s, you know, because it's like it almost like just blows. I mean, I love the Braille stuff. The Braille stuff is so much fun, but it like just almost ruins the you know, middle of the road songs for me because I'm like, damn, if he just would write all those. In fact, I'm tempted to just make like my own album out of like, you know, basically Scott one and two, the opposite of what I said before, where it's like just his originals because I mean, I don't know. It's a shame that there's like so little here, but it's just enough to make you feel like, wow, this guy is, is special. Um, Another thing I wanted to ask about though is This sort of like image that he's presenting, it's kind of interesting because he's, he's like, we talk about him like he's this, you know, incredible artist, which I think he is, but he's like this uncompromising artist. He's, um, even though he might've compromised, uh, it seems early in his career, obviously, um, that he's like this recluse that he's like just really pure art, you know, whatever. But early on, you know, he's got this like brand. It's like this moody crooner. He's got he's always wearing sunglasses and like wearing a scarf. He's like a recluse and hating fame. But he's like publishing that, you know, the way that like Nirvana kind of branded that later on, you know, that's like part of Kurt's mythos. Um, There's like rumors. I mean, who knows if this is true that he's like spent some time in 1968 retreating to a monastery to study Gregorian chant. I mean, it's so fucking ridiculous. It's like Jim Morrison levels of self-mythologizing, you know? I mean, how does that affect your listening experience, Darren?
2: Um, I I don't know. It's it's really weird because like you're you're saying he was a recluse and hating fame, but then I'm reading other things about him, you know, basically wanting to be on the charts and then being disappointed when
0: he's not and wanting to be a sex symbol you know
2: yeah yeah so it's it's like all over the place which i mean in some ways this record is a little all over the place i mean we in in a single record we have like three categories or three groupings of songs i think that they are paired pretty well together though i think it flows fairly well where you're you're not like you know you're not feeling like there's too much of of one group represented at the same time. Um, Cause honestly, I, I thought the pacing of the album was, was fine. You know, I, I never really yeah, felt like yeah. I was ready to move on or, or get on with it or anything like that. Um, You know, the Braille songs I think are placed in the, in really good places. I think plastic pals, people being kind of like right there in the middle. Um Yeah was was good you know uh but yeah it's it is strange you know and it's i feel like it's always hard like looking back at an album and an artist from the 60s and trying to understand the world that they were living in um you know outside of the music it's it's a little jarring but uh i don't know it didn't really negatively impact my my listening experience
1: you know another thing is uh, later on when he starts writing his own stuff, it like literally takes like 10 years between every record for him to write, you know, an hour's worth of music. So maybe that's part of like why he, you know, did these middle of the road things because, you know, in the sixties, especially at this point, you know, when he's not like, it doesn't have this like great artistic license with it, with a label and everything. He's they're not going to let him take 10 years to release a record. <laughs> you know, it, back then, you know, before the internet and everything, like if you couldn't rock into a record store and pick up the latest, you know, you know Sinatra record or Beatles or whoever, you know you're done. You're, you're off. You know nobody cares anymore. Right, you right. You, were, you were much easier forgotten um, back then, and I, I think that might you know, be. know, it part could of be,
0: it. but you know he wrote like almost all of three, and he wrote That's like true. almost all of four. Yeah. Like less than a year later. Um, I don't know. It seems like something happened, but I want to talk about this later for sure. That it seems like his reclusiveness and his like laboring for decades over his music you know is also part of his mythology but like sort of a new sort of mythology that he he has in his later career um but to stick to scott too um or to kind of wrap up scott too we can obviously like come back to it and compare and contrast and everything but you know how how did we do i mean darren do you like this record did you know speaking strictly of scott's early stuff are you converted are you at least interested in checking out the other scott records?
2: uh very much so actually so i i hmm. would consider this definitely a blunder um for not oh, having listened okay. to it before um i really like this record scott 2 and i i am probably going to check out the other Scots. um but i kind of you know dan we you haven't said a whole lot about scott 3 and 4 are those better
1: records or no you know, I, 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 most people think Scott Four is like the gem of of these, uh, you know, original four records, and you know it probably is sort of the the best one. Um, I, I honestly, I kind of like all four of these records kind of equally. I, I have like a special affinity for Scott One, but uh, that's not a common opinion, I don't think. And uh, three is three is sort of the um it's challenging yeah it's like sort of the the stepping you know if you like one two and four you know go you know
0: go ahead and hit hit three up but you know don't well i think a lot of people have like like a deep affection for it but it's very it's very moody it's like all mm-hmm. slow strings and mm. um and i think people complain that like the last three songs in a row are all of the Brel covers but um it's you know one of these like late night things. I found it difficult, and in fact, even on Scott Two, there was something about like this record that took me like many listens to get into it. And then once I like got it, I, I started to really dig it. But especially the slow songs uh, toward the latter half are just like they're you kind of got to listen like several times. I do I do believe though that uh, Scott Four is like basically flawless all mm-hmm. the way through. I would uh, I would strongly recommend that one. But okay. Um, But I agree. I I think I... I, On this 60s stuff, for sure, I've been converted. I mean, I hear like... You know, we talked a lot about Jim Morrison. And I think that there's sort of a similarity, um, in a way, Scott Walker and Jim Morrison. But, you know, a lot of the same people, I hear Scott Walker's influence. Like, people like, you know, Nick Cave, who we talked about before. David Bowie, um, very much so. um, Especially this early period stuff, you know, specifically. But... Also like Leonard Cohen, you know, I mean, I know it's around the same time, but um, very similar vibes like Morrissey, you know, it mm. feels like Scott Walker, especially when he's being like a little humorous with the Braille stuff. Um, Morrissey has to have loved that. Um, but, you know, there's just such a like amazing, I don't know, aesthetic, I think, to these, to these early records and just the sound of them and the sound of his voice. It's like. Really unforgettable. So I I would certainly, in regard to the early stuff, consider myself a convert. Now I think we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um if we can hear hints of his later direction, I think it would be better to maybe return to that topic um after we mm-hmm. dive into Tilt, but I do want to ask, you know, is it a shame that people now always like, you know, put Tilt and the rest of his legacy on to these early records? Like, should people just listen to them on their own or people kind of depriving them of their own sort of worth
1: i think it's just it's it's hard to do that once you've heard something especially like such a dramatic shift it's hard to shut that off and just you know only you know listen to scott too and and not think about what comes you know like when somebody changes so much you you want to like you you want to find like what well, you know where did this come from? It's like you you almost can't believe like something like that comes like just from left field. So you 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 like dig and you're like you know play, you know and I, I've been doing it this whole time. You know you know I can sort of see you tilt a little bit in yeah, plastic yeah. palace people. You know and I, I think it's just I, for me at least it, it's very hard to to d- separate those things. Um, you know once you already know it. Um, you know somebody that that just. You know, like the Beatles, you know, like from the early stuff to the later stuff, like, you know, you, you can separate those a little easier because it's not I mean, it's a it's a change, but it's not like as drastic of a change as as, you know, Walker's getting up to here. And so it's just uh-huh. like you, you, you got to try to find where it came from, I, I think. it's so it, it's really difficult to, to separate them. Hmm.
0: Yeah, what do you, what do you think, Darren?
1: I mean, I don't know.
2: Like I, I sort of disagree. Like I already forgive people for not liking early Beatles because they pre- and they prefer the later Beatles. Like I I forgive people for that. I feel like you sh- you know, you should With Scott Walker, it's far more extreme. And uh I would be willing to forgive people for n- either just loving, you know, the tilt era stuff and not caring for the 60s stuff cuz it's just so Vastly different, or vice versa. You know what I mean. Huh. Um, having listened to both of the of these records now, I st- I still love Scott too. I, I feel like I like it for what it is. Um, I just don't. It's really hard. It's hard for me to believe that it's the same person um, when I turn Tilt on. You know what I mean. It just feels like a totally yeah. different. You got to be in a different mood, different. You know what I mean. Like yeah. if you were a night of like listening to Scott Walker's discography, to me doesn't include going through these like 60s records and then just let's keep on going right into the <laughs> yeah, you know what right. i mean
0: it just doesn't make sense <laughs> to me <laughs> yeah i'm more of the opinion that in the originals i i think it's like completely true that you can hear like the roots of of tilt at least i mean i i think it's like you can't argue it. i mean i already talked about yeah that's how fair. I, I hear that in you know plastic palace people but you know just like anything like The first song on Scott Three, "It's Raining Today," like that, like sort of atonal note that's just hanging over the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's gonna directly move into Tilt. But you know, on that note, let's uh, let's move into Tilt ourselves. But a little bit of background on what kind of goes on in between. We've talked about some of this stuff, but. He kind of gets, like, increasing autonomy with um, Scott 3 and Scott 4, but they basically flop, especially Scott 4 leads him into these 70s dark ages that you talked about, Dan, where he's really just doing covers. Walker Brothers reunion, it seems like he's doomed to be, like, on the nostalgia circuit, you know, for the rest of his life. Um, Then there's some, like, by some fun twist of fate, uh, gotta love these. It's like his the Walker Brothers label is going under. And so they just decided to like put out an album just doing whatever the fuck they want for once. And basically the first four songs on Night Flights from 1978 are Scott Walker like, you know, really fully emerging as this like very different thing. Um, it's it's, you know, it, it's really incredible. And, and in my opinion, it's kind of like it's just the direct inspiration for like Bowie's Lodger. Um, a lot of the stuff that him and Eno did together. Um, he disappears until 1984's Climate of the Hunter, which sort of mixes like 80s, kind of 80s rock with something that is quite weird and quite a preview of Tilt, in my opinion. Um, and then a recluse again, all the way up until 1995 with Tilt. So um, I guess I wanted to ask just really briefly um, Dan, if you have any thoughts on some of this stuff, not Scott 3 and 4, obviously we talked about, but um you checked out like night flights for the first time i did i did as well and climate of the hunter i mean i actually completely love his tracks on those
1: yeah you know climate of of hunter i um i i had listened to uh before like you know whenever i get into somebody i always listen to like every record and uh Mm. you know it wasn't one that i like ever like really got into or, or knew much about but then you had like asked me about it and said that you know you were really digging it so i gave it another shot and i i like really kind of came to love that record uh too i don't i don't know why i never like it it's it's like a strange 80s sounding rock thing but then like yeah. you know very weird uh so I, I really came to like that one and uh um you know it was it was kind of nice to to discover something in in an artist i already liked and yeah i um all the that walker brothers like reunion record like i knew about but i didn't know like the story i just kind of assumed like uh you know walker brothers reunion in the 70s like i'll i'll pass no thank you um and then i i watched that 30th century man uh documentary and they talked about you know what you said with the record label closing and all that and uh you know so i gave it a chance and um it you know it's really cool um i i definitely i want to spend more time with i only ran through it like uh once or twice but um it, it, it's. I'm glad to have discovered something uh, new yeah. in an artist I liked. You know, it's it's like getting a free new album. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. In some ways, I was like a little disappointed to learn that I was wrong in thinking that he like basically vanished after the '60s and like completely reemerged. That would kind of be a better story. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it's actually really f- cool that you like get to catch up with him every once in a while, and it's amazing. It sounds like he's. It sounds like he's developing naturally the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's just he's not releasing anything. So it's like between Climate of Hunter and Tilt, it's like as if he, you know, wrote and recorded and then just threw away like three albums or something, you know, but um you know, speaking of Tilt, why did you pick this one, Dan? I mean, Tilt it's the first of the uh, solidly
1: quote quote weird one. Um <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just it's still it's it's not gotten 100% off the rails uh like I think some of the uh later stuff uh might a little more uh than it does here um you know so I thought it might be like a little easier uh way to get into it not not that it's in any way easy you know I I don't want anybody to, (laughs) to 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 misconstrue what I'm saying but you know, it, it just seems like kind of the 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 one to get into. It, it's frequently it and the drift are sort of frequently like considered the best of um, this late period. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's just I. I Personally, I really love Sal's a lot, but I'm also like a huge Sun fan, but I didn't want to talk about that one because I knew we and me would get caught up in all the Sun stuff and, and talking about Sun instead of Scott. So, you know, I, I wanted to sort of avoid that one. Um, and, uh, yeah. you know, I, I just tilt is sort of like a good way to to work your way into what it's what happens. Of- <laughs>
0: It's kind of like experiencing it the way that most of the world did. Because exactly. it's, I swear to God, I think most people just don't even know about like Night Flights and Climate of Hunter. And for them, it really was the case that all of a sudden with Tilt, this guy, Skywalker Walker, has come back mm-hmm. since the 60s. And uh, what the fuck is going on? So, Darren, you know, I want to ask you to give me a little uh, sound description of <laughs> Tilt. <laughs> well, uh, y- you know, I guess we would
2: start with scott walker's voice um uh-huh. you know he's got this like it's it <laughs> it's so weird because at first it sounds as if like it sounds like if i were trying to sing like like an opera
0: voice you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. <you're> trying to <laughs> yeah. pretend to
2: have like this really deep voice or whatever um, or did you like
0: uh did you ever see uh forgetting sarah marshall mm-hmm. yeah you know when he does like the the like puppet yeah that Dracula, Dracula thing, opera yeah. <laughs> yeah. at the end. Yeah. I, I couldn't stop thinking about that uh, at first, but but okay, go on. Yeah,
2: so that, you know, that uh <laughs> that description there I think covers the, the vocals <laughs> pretty well. Um, you know, musically, you know, gone are any, you know, simple rhythms and pop anything. I mean, you know, all that is just pretty much eradicated and replaced with you know there there's still strings um kind of thrown in throughout the record but there's a lot of like i guess like what would you call like experimental uh you know industrial sound yeah a- yeah just um basically it sounds as if like that pop music that you were familiar with from if you had listened to the previous record has just been completely torn down um and you're left with you know in an aftermath and you have much longer songs much longer you know kind of drawn out uh I wouldn't really say there's anything in terms of you know like quick tempos or anything like that right I mean um I don't I don't know I'm at a loss at how how else to describe <laughs> this this record
0: yeah it's it's quite like it's quite minimal and it's quite um it's quite empty a lot of empty space all of a sudden which is kind of incredible after you know, the the earlier records have this real wall of sound, Phil Spector thing going on. And now it's like he's in love with just like this silence. And, you know, there's a lot of like kind of booming, um, you know, almost like a military-esque drum rhythms. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times that's like the single driving force of the song. Um, but it's always like a dull thud. It's not like, you know, big, big booming drums. It's like sort of eerily muted and um, his voice is always up front and center. You've often got like, you know, sometimes there's strings, um, which we'll talk about, especially like at the beginning farmer in the city. But, um, you know, a lot of times it's like stuff that kind of sounds like maybe feedback or like, you know strange wind instruments and stuff um, i was actually looking at the instrument list and you know some of the stuff it's like who's ever fucking heard of this this <laughs> shit but you know weird like creaky things sometimes there's like stuff that sounds like keys rattling or whatever i mean it's almost like industrial post-punk but like i don't know what would you add dan yeah i mean it's like you
1: you've got this this voice that's that's so front and center like darren said and it's just like it's it's like a haunting like it, it's like this ghost has 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 wandered in you know like it, it it's it's this crazy operatic you know, there's just no, nobody that that has the, the uh, voice that really sounds like like this. And then the 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 backing, it's it's these weird muted um, percussion noises, and just it, it's like v- very hard to place like what instrument is doing what a lot of times. And then uh, you know, you just sometimes, and then sometimes like a uh, a sound or an instrument will come in, and it just like. It sounds so, like, I don't know, like, weirdly, like, production-wise dated. Like, sometimes it'll just be, like, a really, like,
0: 80s-sounding guitar just, like, kicks in or something,
1: and you're like, what the fuck? Climate of
0: Hunter kind of does a similar Mm -hmm. thing, even though, like, it is the 80s, but, you know, it it sounds like a fretless bass on this record as well. And it's got a very, like, it's, like, dated, but almost, like, out of time. No, that's like it, it makes
1: it so hard to, like, place, like, what the fuck is going on? Because, like, just yeah. the way he sings sounds, like, so old. It
0: sounds like, you know, like, op, like leader, right? Darren, in, like, you know, these, these sort of operatic songs that, like, many composers, you know, Mahler, et cetera, would write. Right, um, right, right. But then you, yeah, sometimes have, like, these intrusions of, like, military or tribal drums and then, like, 80s fretless bass or something, like, just you know there's there's i forget which song where there's like whistling Mm -hmm. and um face on breast and the whistling is like extremely harsh and kind of like painful in your ear and we don't even have to talk about the cockfighter which scares the shit out of me every single time no one night i was i
1: was laying in bed listening to this record and i like fell asleep uh, to quickly during Farmer in the City. And then cockfighter <laughs> scared the fucking shit out of me. I like I for real jumped up and I I you know I woke my wife up. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that, that it just comes out of nowhere. Um I don't even know what to Hon- Honey, honey, the cockfighter. The cockfighter <laughs> <laughs> There's
0: there's, there's cockfighter what to uh, what to call it because it's just like It's like it's a jump like scare. White, <laughs> but it's like white noise, like rhythmic it's like the strangest like harshest thing. yeah i don't and even know what's making the noise but before that like if you listen to it in headphones
1: and like kind of crank it uh it's just like this weird he's like sort of like whisper i know talking and singing because you, you have oh, to turn it up to yeah because like your you're eyes. like yeah, yeah you're like what the yeah. what? Yeah. something's going on because if you have it at like a reasonable volume it kind of just sounds like silence and so you're like oh, yes. what the fuck did you know did, did my phone mess up and so you crank it and then he blasts
0: you in the ass <laughs> I know. And it's funny too because then like a, a patriot a single actually has like silence I think yeah. at the beginning and yeah. the end but I'm I'm too afraid to like turn I it know. up really loud. It's going to get you again.
2: Uh, <laughs> I'm like is the song over? It can't be over. It's not over yet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain element here that feels like you are watching a horror film. Um you know but we also you know so like Farmer in the City. I I kind of want to talk about the lyrics, but they're almost <laughs> impossible to talk about cuz it's like so hard to understand what he's talking about, but you know like Farmer in the City right is sort of about this uh this filmmaker Pasolini, filmmaker and poet as it turns out, um who was murdered and it's like sung from his perspective. And this is like the thing that I think I I could really feel, like especially in the Brel songs on Scott 2, where it's like this fascination with you know different perspectives of characters that are twisted really in different ways you know like the soldier on next um you know is really a fascinating character study and so is you know pasolini it's just that we're we're really kind of like removed from it because it's so obscure like do you hear 21 i don't even know what that is it's like (laughs) like an auctioning going Uh, on or something yeah Yeah, i i didn't know what
1: the fuck that meant because i was thinking like I was wondering, like, does he mean blackjack? But that's, like, weird to say, like, do you mean, do, do, do I see twenty yeah. or hear 21? Uh, so, I looked it up on, like, Genius, and they said, like, an auction. But, you know, it's just, like, some Yahoo in <laughs> yeah. the
0: comments. But also, like, you know, there's stuff, like, you know, because he's saying, like, can't go buy a man from Rio. And, you know, when Pasolini died, he actually bought a male prostitute um, who killed him, um, supposedly. People think there was, like, mafia shit going on. But... Um, you know, so it's like this auction, you know, there's something like, this is what I'm getting at. There's like something swirling around, like, do I hear 21, you know, I'll give you 21. It's like something like kind of an auction. And then there's this idea of like buying a a male prostitute, but then like this background information of it's, of he's going to kill you. And then there's like this really, I mean, it gets like deeply touching because he's sort of talking about, he's sort of talking to his lover and it's sort of adapting actually a poem he wrote. And it says like, Paolo, take me with you. It was the journey of a life, you know. It's like the strings are really emotional. I, I, it's like the strangest mixture of feelings that these like really fleeting images give me. You know what I mean? Uh, the other, you you talk about the like can't can't go buy a man from Rio,
1: can't go buy a man from Vigo. I, of course, you know, Genius is in, in no way you know official or anything. Uh, but like in, in Genius, they say like can't go by B-Y, a man from Rio, and then can't go right. by B-U-Y, a man from Vigo. Like, I I I wonder, Who knows. like, if that's fucked up or if he meant it. because Where did what, they then, get that information from? Yeah, because then what the fuck does that mean? You know, can't go. Well,
0: I think he's like. I don't know. I think they, the, the little description sort of guesses that, like, he's maybe even playing with the word. And I wouldn't put it past him because there's some, like, I mean, the the poetry here is just, like, it's almost like inscrutable it's just like It just feels like there's a lot of stuff going on But but another thing I want to mention is that it does feel like There is something going on Like if I had you know it reminds me Of, of, of reading like James Joyce's Ulysses right and uh, again not trying to Name drop show off but it's like, you know I had to take a whole Class that focused on Just reading this one book to be able to finish it and you know, we were required to buy another book that was longer than Ulysses of just you
1: know, so you
0: read it. And I feel like if I had something like that, these lyrics would be incredible because like, you know, Patriot, a single, you know, it's kind of like about a person being tortured and you get this very stream of consciousness, you know, like Virginia Woolf, James Joyce style, like you're in his head, but he's not like thinking very clearly. And he's like a little delirious you know and as the music sort of crescendos when it's like tonight he'll rise he'll sell his arms to anyone who asks about you know it's like i kind of feel like he's you know like going he's he's being tortured so much that he's kind of like hallucinating or something he starts to talk in german which if genius didn't cite this i wouldn't know what it is but it's like a news german newspaper so he's kind of like maybe thinking i'll be a hero in the press at least you know um at the end there's like just this weird It just ends with him saying, like, 17A, Ryan New... Like, I don't know if he's, like, giving up the code that he's being tortured for at the end, and, like, finally the sweet release or something. I mean, you get what I'm saying, Darren? Like, it feels like there's something to find here. It would just take a lot of work to get it.
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. Um, I think that your point about... Uh, having something to, you know, some sort of annotation I think would be important. I know you mentioned that the lyrics were worth looking at, but honestly, you know, I just, it would, it would take a lot. And I, I, I I agree that there's probably definitely something there, but I mean, I feel like you kind of already have to enjoy listening to this, at least (laughs) initially to want to get that far. And I... I didn't, oh. I didn't come away wanting to go any <laughs> deeper, I guess you could well, say.
0: Well, let's dive into that. So you uh did you find anything? I mean, any successes here? Any songs or just no. Remained impenetrable. Yeah, no.
2: I no. No. Um, not
0: not even thinking of it as like leader or something.
2: I mean, you're a big classical yeah, music fan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can appreciate that. Um and it was certainly interesting but i just don't know i just didn't come away after repeated listens um most of which i was kind of like is it over yet <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> i, know, I haven't gotten there yet and then of course like a you know patriot i'm thinking that it's over and <laughs> that it's not over but uh yeah i just i don't know it just nothing really connected with me you know um maybe it's just a weird thing to to try to listen to this record and like Scott too, like back to back because <laughs> you just i guess it's just so easy to think well i'll just i'll go back to scott too it's fine like you know let I mean, just give another <laughs> spin of scott too and then i'll come back yeah to yeah
0: um
2: maybe that was kind of what was happening but i i don't know I, I can definitely appreciate um the work here and and i i like you mentioned i'm sure putting more work into it would probably reap more you know rewards for you for as a listener but i just
0: i, I couldn't connect Well, Dan, I mean, did you, if you can remember, you know, you must have found this challenging. Did it take like a long time to get into it? Uh, You know, I I don't want to sound like super patrician
1: guy, but I, (laughs) this wasn't the first experimental, you know, thing I ever listened to. So no, (laughs) it, it, it wasn't. In fact, like when you the first time you put this record on and then you hear these like haunting noises and then you know this do i hear 21 thing that like sucks me in you know i i know like fr- huh. from the get go of that i'm like this is a record that that i'm i'm interested in you know it's just spooky like scary you know odd it's like what i want um coming into it you know it, but if if i wasn't you know well versed in in odd music I, 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 you know, I definitely like. I understand the impenetrability of this record. You know, I just, I, I've built up enough r- resistance uh, through other things that that it, it was not super difficult for me. But, but you know,
0: I, I don't want to try to act like I'm be trying to be cool. you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I listened to a ton of experimental stuff, and I still found this pretty hard. And I, I. I like enjoy it and have come to like really respect it, but I, um, I still wouldn't say that it's easy to listen to. Um, I can sort of feel after, I mean, like, cause I really spent like an entire week listening to the, you know, earlier records. And then I plan on spending an entire week, like kind of listening to the later records, but I just couldn't actually get past this one. Like feel like I got it enough to even try to move on to the drift, so um you know I do want to hear that meat punching that on, <laughs> <Yeah. the> documentary. <laughs> um, but you know slowly it feels like things like begin to open themselves up because I, I really think the farmer in the city is like a gorgeous it's just a gorgeous song to me at this point it's like not even weird to me it's just like breathtaking I mean and just the mm-hmm. the way that it constructs like this you know strange rumination on this guy who is really horribly murdered um blows my mind patriot a single i mentioned before i mean that's that's kind of like the first time that the strings really like you know predominantly come back and it's like such a it's so awesome after you've made it through all of that hard work to hear these like absolutely gorgeous strings and they're so dense you know they're so like a lot of times the orchestration you know reminds me of something like you know Alban Berg or you know these kind of like atonal um opera composers, something like um Strauss uh, a little bit and the way he sings reminds me of Strauss a lot like Strauss's Salome where it's like where he is singing in the chord if you could call it that is really counterintuitive and odd you know like there's um gosh which song is it where this kind of um this kind of like synth thing comes in. Um, oh, maybe it's face on breast as well. It's like, there's like this synth line coming in and he's singing with it, you know, almost creating like, what do they call that? Remember like in the emo world of our youth, like horror chords where it'd be like something. So <laughs> yeah something so atonal that it's like sort of pulsating in like weird ways. I mean, he's doing that like with his voice and what sounds like, I don't know, maybe like a flute or a harmonica thing or some obscure instrument. Um, You know, this is all like deeply intellectually fascinating. And some things I think are so breathtaking, like lyrically the way that rosary ends, you know, is just so haunting. Actually the whole song, just like Mm -hmm. suddenly being this really discordant uh, clean electric guitar. It like, at some points like plays like what sounds like a real chord. And it's such a, like you're like, Oh my God, he's about, it's about to become a song that I recognize as a song, but then it like goes away immediately. And, um, you know, it's still basically what I'm trying to say is it's still hard, but I find it very intellectually stimulating. And I think back about our conversation, um, about Olivia Tremor control and, sometimes when experimental things are more fun to think about than to listen to, but it sounds like you didn't even get there, Darren.
2: Well, I mean, if I were to point out moments in the album that I, you know, liked upon repeated listens, you know, um, definitely Patriot. I know you've been talking about that one quite a bit. Um, I like that song, you know, uh, it, it, to, for me, I feel like it comes late, you know, like I'm, I'm like mm-hmm. waiting for it to kind of pick up, um because it it feels like a crescendo that the whole album has been like building up to you know like when that first kind of crashes in um i like the song tilt as well uh yeah um and farmer in the city is a is a great start to the record but it you know i i just immediately start to like get lost by the time you get to like bouncer "See bouncer manhattan that one's
1: particularly hard bouncer yeah, c bouncer. Yeah. You didn't like in Manhattan uh like in the um I'll call it a verse but you know just you know <laughs> loosely. Um like the when he says like the fleur de lee stuff the like uh tom drumming
0: that was like so cool. It's, like, the most tool song. It kind of is. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you would you like some that. Stuff, there's some stuff that, like, makes you think a little bit of, like, 90s alt rock. <laughs> a little a nine bit, Nine Inch yeah. Nails or something. But it just makes you think, like, God, Trent Reznor should, go, should also go full uh, Scott Walker, like, in his later years. That would be fucking badass. But, you know, another thing I want to ask you, Darren, is, um, you know, how about, if the music isn't doing it for you, how about, like, the mythology surrounding this record? Because it's it's, frankly, pretty incredible. Like, the quietest their obituary it it, it sort of makes a nice argument that like i was saying earlier that like he's always kind of self-consciously mythologizing even even later on, but they're talking about tilt and they say, it's hard to recall the degree to which it seemed to come out of nowhere. A self-willed dream soundscape drawing on half-remembered Pasolini films, modern classical minimalism, leader, the early stirrings of post-rock and traces of industrial music. It was of course, exactly the kind of record the mythical Scott would produce on emerging from self-perpetuated exile and remains a brilliantly executed work of genius. So, what I want to ask, I guess both of you is like, is it even possible like not to hear this record as this like incredible comeback from this very mysterious recluse? Like, doesn't it feel like that outside context stuff is so such an important part of this record? Like what would it even sound like without, without that? You know what I mean, Dan? Yeah. I mean, I can see
1: that, you know, if you just, if you knew nothing of Scott Walker, you know, nothing about him and you just, somebody played you tilt you know, you'd be like, you know, what the who let this guy, you know, in into the recording studio, yeah, um, yeah. you know. So I, I think there is like some importance in in the uh, mythology, and I mean, you know, the part of like what is so great about him is this like dramatic change. Uh, so you know, without the you know, if he comes just to this fully formed, I, I think it's still just as good of a record, but it doesn't have, uh, you know, such, such a great story. And, and we've talked about in the past, like some, you know, sometimes what, what tips a record over or what really, you know, makes something a, a yeah. true classic is like having a good backstory or having, you know, it arriving at the perfect moment or, you know, just, just things, things don't exist in a vacuum, uh, you know, with art. And so I, I, I think that the, this backstory is important and does help and it is a, part of you know what makes him so great i mean isn't it such like a a cool you know like story that like this teen idol you know come you know yeah. and disappears and he comes back and he makes just you know the most challenging you know experimental like record you've ever heard like that that's a that you know that's probably why i listened to him the first time you know i'm sure i read that somewhere and i said you know i gotta hear that uh, you know, it, it's it's a it's a yeah, it's a rad yeah. selling point, even though it is like a little not true. You know, uh, yeah, right. But you know, it, it, it's enough true to to get you to listen. You know, and, and get and feel like you got to dig into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, does that compel you at all? Does that like fascinate you at all, Darren? Um, d- even though you don't dig it that much, it definitely does. You know, I'm a big fan of like lore,
2: mythology surrounding an artist. You know, I'm a I'm actually a pretty big fan of artists who take a long time to create records. You know what I mean? Cause I just, you know, Mm -hmm. you like to think that so much could be going on that like the, the uh, inception of some of these or conception of some of these songs may have started like forever ago and then how they developed over the years. So that when you finally get to the final product, it sounds like, you know, you can hear the amount of like, uh, you know, time, effort you know the labor uh yeah and and when you when then when you talk about like an experimental record such as this you just gotta imagine like wow like how painstaking was it to put something like this together that it took so long now my understanding from my reading is that maybe the recording sessions only took what like four years or something like that because they i think wikipedia it really mentioned that like, like yeah Wikipedia, I think, mentioned that, like, some of the songs were, you know, recorded or started in, like, 91, 92 or something like that. Is that true or, or were these really, like, worked on for longer than that? Well,
0: it really feels to me like, I mean, can you even imagine what an outtake of this album would be? Like, <laughs> right. it just sounds, like, completely crafted. And it really feels like, I mean, they talk about this in that documentary, that he's got, like, a sound in his head where it's, like he's very specifically after something that yes. he's sort of imagined. And I just, you know, it, it, it's, it's really incredible to me. He does stuff like they talk about how he would kind of like hide the melody from the other musicians. Cause he doesn't want anybody to like be swinging quote swinging together, uh, too, too well, you know, um, I don't know. I, I find his, like his work ethic very mysterious in the sense that it's just like fully arranged in his head. But, Again, this is all part of his, you know, this kind of, like, myth around him. Um, at the same time, it does kind of give you this, like, desire to take it seriously, which I think is really important when something is this challenging. Um, you know, you you listen to the um, Bouncer C Bouncer track, and it's, like, long stretches of this nine-minute thing are just, like, a booming Tom and his voice, right? And when you kind of know the context and you know, you know, not only did he spend like 10 years on this, but he like emerged from basically complete like hiding, you know, like he doesn't seem to really like to be in the spotlight and yet he had to put this out. Um, you know, it just makes you think, well, every, every single Tom hit, is there for a reason so right. even if i don't get it right now i'm going to keep listening and i you know it was important to him so it's going to be important to me you know i appreciate that you know what i mean dan yeah exactly i mean i that's that's a great point you know everything
1: about this record and all of his later stuff it, nothing feels so, uh like unnecessary you know everything you, you even though you might not understand why it's there uh, you understand that it was in his head um and that and that's just you know so cool uh you know like it doesn't doesn't seem like there's much like collaboration going on you know like no, he, no. it's like it's like he he, he uses other musicians uh, because he doesn't know how to play you know whatever he hears in his <laughs> right. head you know right he,
2: trying trying to achieve yeah exactly
1: right. he doesn't you know he doesn't know know how to punch the meat correctly um, <laughs> right <laughs> uh, and, and, and in fact uh like I when the album with Sun came out I read an interview with um, um, one of the guys in son, and they said that he like completely came to them with like demos uh, of what they were supposed to play and just you know yeah. it's like it's almost like he needed to borrow you know their 30 million amps you know is, is all <laughs> right, it was right. you know like he they didn't like write those songs it's scott walker wrote them you know and and that's that's just really interesting and i i think fairly rare in um and artists and, and musicians in particular.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, we're running out of time here. You know, I think we talked about sort of, you talked a little bit about your thoughts about the the coming Scott albums um, after this, which, you know, I, I still need to listen to, all, although after a week of listening to Tilt and trying to f- unlock it for, you know, every day, <laughs> I, I'm going to need to take a little breather. You know, I want to kind of wrap up by just trying to, you know, figure out what did we learn? Like, why, you know, why does it, why does Scott Walker have this like deep obsessive cult following? Is it just like pure, you know, this kind of like brave, like just adventurousness, this uncompromising thing? I,
1: I think it, I, yeah, I think it, the braveness, the uncompromising. And I think another big thing is like so many, uh, you know, well respected artists that are, you know, easier. Um, have have given him the cosign you know i mean bowie like loved him yeah y- you can hear black star you know black star is and i love that right. record um but it's a watered down version of of late scott walker you know it's a, it's a it's a more palatable version of you know yeah. of, of what yeah, of what yeah. walker does and um you know i mean things like that i mean it just makes it like Where you feel the need, you know, a a lot of, like, challenging things people can easily dismiss as, like, you know, just dicking around or unnecessarily odd or something. But, like, with with Walker, it's, like, it's like it's all for a reason, and and I think it, like, lends you to want to dig into it.
0: Yeah. Have you ever listened to Portishead's third? Yeah. That 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 is so tilt to me now i never like knew where the Hmm. fuck that it was coming from like the the just strange transformation that they make. yeah they did it they pulled a tilt and like (laughs) we got to get more artists to pull tilts because it's so exciting to just hear like this artist you love just like completely reinvent themselves exactly Um, yeah what about you darren i mean it sounds like if our central question was to figure out what does it take to get into uh into scott walker you didn't figure it out we're gonna have to do it again next week and the rest of <laughs> uh
2: yeah uh you know i i think the the proper approach might be to just focus on one end or the other you know what i mean um yeah i think it is difficult to just take two records one from the early era and one from the later era and try to consume them both you know what i mean um I'm sure if I spent more time with Tilt maybe explored the other records as well that I'd I'd find maybe a deeper appreciation you know all this talk about you know the story the the mythology um you know it's it's gotten me sort of amped to want to actually give it another listen you know what I mean um yeah cuz I, I truly do appreciate artists who you know, spend a lot of time on the craft, you know what I mean? And I, I think there is something very compelling about taking 10 years between records, you know, when, when you could so easily just throw something out, uh, two years, every two years or something like that, you know what I mean? Like you could, yeah, certainly Scott Walker had the material or the ability to do that, but you know, he didn't think it it was right or whatever sound he was chasing after just wasn't ready yet. You know what I mean? So that kind of stuff takes time. And I, I think as a listener, you know, we definitely owe it to the artist to like truly give it a fair a fair shot, and not just dismiss it after a week or two or two of listening. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I personally, you know, as a musician, we've all made music. You know, I found it very inspiring because, you know, it, first off, it's very like uncompromising. Obviously, like this really brave experimental spirit, but um, also, you know, there were so many things on this record, and actually, also the early records, where it's like I just really instinctively did not like them at first you know like the sound in the cockfighter or something like that um you know that 80s kind of sounding fretless bass thing strikes me as not a sound i like i actually hate uh industrial music for some reason i don't know why <laughs> but um you know and it sort of you know it sort of terrified me because i realized like when i make music i frequently actually always make a sound and I decide if I like that sound, like in one second, I decide if I like that sound, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I change it. And if I do, I start building on that sound and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's just the idea that this dude is spending like 10 years, you know, to really make sure if it's the right sound, you know, like even if it doesn't sound right the first, I don't know, 45 times to him or something like then he right. starts to get it. I was almost like, Oh my God. Like what I could never even dream of writing like that, but it is, it is inspiring. Um, you know, it's, I don't know. I, I understand why people are obsessed with them. And, um, and I do hear his influence, honestly, all over the place. I mentioned Portishead, but you know, stuff like Laurie Anderson or mm, yeah, really just like, you know, swans is an obvious one. Um, just like the, I don't know, the experimental spirit is just sort of flowing through this thing. So, Um, I would consider myself having been converted to a fan. I would say that you succeeded Dan, um, Darren, it sounds like he half succeeded with you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly, certainly going to check out the other Scott records. Um, I definitely would say I'm a Scott Walker fan of the early era, uh, you know, get back with me on the, on the other <laughs> half. I'll uh, I'll let you know. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, I think that's enough uh, for this week. So, uh, what do you think? We'd love to read your thoughts on air. You can email us popshieldpod at gmail dot com. Uh, our next episode will be in two weeks. Not sure yet. Maybe another Skywalker <laughs> record. Uh, prob- <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Uh, if you like the show, help us out. Subscribe. Leave us a five-star rate and review wherever you can. Uh, stay connected. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, all that junk. It's at Pop Shield Pod, And we'll see you
0: in two weeks. See you. So long.